The episode you're about to listen to was released back when the Mere Christians podcast was called The Call to Mastery. Now, if you love Mere Christians, you're still going to love these older episodes because the majority of each conversation focuses on how the gospel influences the work of our guests. With that disclaimer out of the way, please enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Call to Mastery. I'm Jordan Rayner. This is a podcast for Christians who want to do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. Each week, I host a conversation with a Christian who's pursuing world-class mastery of their vocation. We talk about their path to mastery, their daily habits, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ influences their work. Today's guest is my friend Chandler Bolt. He's the founder and CEO of the Self Publishing School, which has been on the Inc. Magazine's list of the 5,000 fastest growing businesses for three years in a row. He's built this business from zero to 20 million in revenue in just five years, helped more than 6,000 people publish a book. In other words, Chandler knows what he's talking about, about entrepreneurship and about writing books and publishing. Chandler and I recently sat down to talk about why it's critical to avoid asking what's new in my industry, in my field, et cetera, and what's next, and instead replacing those questions with two brilliant questions that Chandler is always asking himself and his team. We talked about the difference between light bulb and whack-a-mole approaches to management, inspired by Howard Schultz of Starbucks. And finally, we had a great discussion about why every professional should consider writing a book, even if you never publish another one, what it can do to you and your path to doing your most exceptional work. This is a terrific conversation. Please enjoy it with my friend, Chandler Bull. Chandler Bolt, welcome. Jordan, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So when we were having dinner together in Colorado, you were pummeling me with questions. And I kept desperately trying to turn the attention away from me by asking you questions. <laughs> so now I finally get my turn. Right. <laughs> hey, if if you're asking questions and listening, you're learning. That's exactly right. <laughs> and That's I exactly like to right. learn. And you're so, a smart guy. So let's do this. Let's start here, so our listeners can learn a little bit more about you. I feel like they need to know a little bit about self publishing school. So, real briefly, what does the business do? Yeah. So, self publishing school. We're an online education company. We help people write and publish books that grow their impact, their income, and their business if they have one. So, I like to think of it kind of like a Kind of like a business accelerator, but for books or maybe even a, a year of college, but it's better than a writing degree. <laughs> um, it's helping people write quality books that help people that grow their impact. And then especially on the business side of things, if they have a business, write a book that gets more leads, sales, referrals, all that good stuff. And it's a heck of a business. Talk real quickly about the scale of where self-publishing school is at now in terms of, I, I don't know, customer serve, team size, yeah. however, however you measure that. Yeah. So we've published about 6,000 books since we started in February of 2015, publishing we're from one to three books a day. We've got about mid thirties of like 35 full-time employees or so, handful of contractors. We've been on the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing private companies in the U.S. last few years in a row. 
just got Forbes 30 under 30. So that's that's been growing a lot. And uh, we've been publishing a lot of books and we believe that books change lives. And so I love what we do. We love what we do. And so it's, that's, that's kind of the focus. And I think that's a big part of why it's grown so, so quickly. Yeah. There's a pretty dramatic catalyst for the founding of the business. Would you mind sharing that story with our listeners? Yeah. So I'd written and published a couple of books, one of which uh, was with my brother. He plays in a Grammy-nominated rock and roll band called Need to Breathe. And so I'd done these couple of books. They were doing pretty well. People asked, how did, how did you do this? I dropped out of college about this time. I, I start kind of this business. We help our first few people publish books. And then it was kind of uh, this crazy experience where you know, I, I was on a rewards cruise uh, for the company that I was working at at the time, and they'd send their top performers to a cruise um, every year. And it was on that cruise. And the very last day, we climbed up to kind of like the highest part of the ship. It was kind of like this ceremonial, celebratory kind of um, yearly thing that we did each year, just kind of feeling like, hey, we're on top of the world. Yeah. Let's go to the t- top of the ship and like dream and 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 uh, talk about you know our visions and goals and that sort of thing. And so I um, just went up there and 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 then just unexpectedly this sonar thing started to spin. And I remember talking to someone to my right, and then to my left the sonar starts to spin. I look to my left, and right as I look to my left, it spins around and it sweeps around and hits my friend Kendall in the chest, sweeps him over the railing, and he falls two stories. And now it's kind of one of those falls where you think, okay, he's going to fall and and look down and he'll maybe have a a broken arm or something, but he'll hop up and he'll be good to go. And then I looked down, he wasn't moving. And it it was about that time, you know, my my friend Christian, he yelled out, he said, hey, somebody get some help. I mean, we rushed down there. He still wasn't moving. They rushed the ship into port. They rushed him to the hospital. Um, And he he ended up passing away on the way to the hospital at 20 years old. And it was, I mean, a a week or so later, I was after the funeral and I was talking to his dad and he was asking, you know, what happened? He was wanting to kind of understand what happened. And I told him what happened. And then he said, you know, Chandler, he said, Kendall was my only son. He was the family name. He said, I'm old. I can't have more kids. The family name died with Kendall. And he said, you know, the the only good that can come out of this is if other people's lives are positively impacted by the fact that this happened. Hmm. And that was just, I mean, that just, whoo, just hit me in the chest because I like kind of in that moment, I was, I was, I was just feeling really guilty. Like I was like, hey, it was my idea to go up there. If I wouldn't have had that idea, Kendall would still be a lot like all these things just kind of playing in my head. And so just hearing him say that, hey. The only good that can come out of this is if, if people's lives are positively impacted. And so I kind of flashed back to the night before he passed away and he was telling me about his goals for the year, his goals for the next few years. And I realized Kendall's never going to get to accomplish any of those goals. Hmm. I'm living for two now. Hmm. Right. And so it was that. And then it was a few months later feeling or, or hearing that, you know, Kendall had attended one of my random webinars and trainings on how to write and publish a book. And he'd actually written most of the draft of a book. And so actually one of my right-hand guys at self-publishing school now and coworker at the time, him and a couple other friends helped publish Kendall's book after uh, he passed away. And so that's a big part of his legacy. And so then that for me, I said, hey, I'm focusing on a lot of things that don't matter (laughs) right now. And there's only a few things that actually matter. My faith, my family, 
And the work that I'm doing with self-publishing school is like actually making a difference and it's helping people. Hmm. And so that was the big turning point for me where I've, you know, I've got this bracelet that I wear, I've worn every single day since then. It says on one side, it says make him proud. On the other side, it says WWKD. So what would Kindle do? And it's kind of a daily reminder of that and of, of why I'm doing this and that I'm living for two. I was watching your TED talk in which you share this story and you articulated it a, a, a titch differently about kind of that post-traumatic life evaluation. You're like, yeah, I was yes. looking at my life. And basically what mattered was like my faith my family and publishing books. Yes. Like you said that specifically, <laughs> like not the obvious answer, right? Like, yeah. so other than Kindle's experience, which obviously influences that, like why books? Why yeah. are you so passionate about this medium? Huh? Cause they've changed my life. I mean, I, t- I talk about this in the beginning of my new book. It's literally the, the, the title of chapter one is called books change lives, but you know, I believe that books change lives of readers, right? Probably everyone listening has had their life changed by a book. Yeah. Or if not, I mean, at a minimum, the Bible, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, best-selling book of all time. You know, books change lives of readers, but books also change the lives of authors. Yeah. We always say it's not about the book. It's about who you become in the process of writing and publishing that book. And so, you know, I believe that books change lives. There's a concept I talk about, you probably heard me talk about in the TEDx talk too, is leveraged impact. So the ability to do work once and create a book, and then that book goes on to impact thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people. And long after you're off this earth, it's still here making an impact. Yeah. There's right? there's so much talk these days about passive income products. They invest <laughs> in once yeah. and then they sell forever. Yeah. And today in our modern context, it's all centered around digital courses and whatever. Yeah. I'm like, Books have been passive income products yes. for hundreds of years, yes. right? Like it's the original passive income dream. <laughs> Mailbox right? money. That's it's right, same exactly. In the, same in the record industry. But then yeah. also like, and you've probably seen this, Jordan, like I call a book a $15 mentor because when I dropped out of school, I said, I said, all right, I'm dropping out, but I've got to operate like I'm still, I got to keep learning like I'm still in school if I want to get where I want to go. And so I went from someone who is a C-level English student and a college dropout with ADHD, right? Like hated writing, hated reading to now books were the way that I learned because, you know, most of the smartest, most successful people in the, on the planet have written a book. And if you pay 15 bucks and spend a few hours, you can learn all of the best things that they know. Mm. Right. And so that's, I mean, that, so books changed my life in that way as a reader is like, I started learning and just unlocking all these things. People ask me all the time how I read so many books. And my answer is it's multifaceted, but one of the primary reasons is like, I don't consume any other medium. Like yeah, I don't spend yeah. any time, zero yes. time listening to podcasts. I spend zero time on social media. I spend zero time reading web articles, right? Yeah. Like I just consume this one medium. And the reason is number same. one, I I really view it as, oh, oh really? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're the I, same well, thing? I listen to one podcast. That's the only one. Yeah. And that's only recently. But outside of that, I mean, it's literally just books because it's- Yeah, this it's is so interesting. So why is it for you? I, I have my reasons as to why I confine myself to one medium. And I actually think it's like very strategic. Why for you? It's just synthesized information, 
right? And and so th- that for me is, is is books are really, I mean, people have spent years synthesizing all of the best information that they know into the tightest possible package. <laughs> and so then I find problems in my life or in my business, and then I find books that solve those problems, and then I read those books. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. just like the simplest, most streamlined way for me, at least. No, th- I think that's exactly right. It, I, I talked a little bit about this in my new book, Redeeming Your Time. Books are a more filtered form of content than anything else on the market. What what I mean by that is, you know, first, in order for a book to come to market, an author has to decide they're going to spend 500 hours of their life writing it or whatever it is. That's how Mm -hmm. much time Mm -hmm. I spend writing a book. Then if you're going to go the traditional publishing route, which I know you're not and your clients are, but in my case, the author has to believe in it. An agent has to believe it's important and relevant and and quality enough to say. Then a publishing team of let's call it 15 people have to agree to publish the book and they put it through the freaking ringer. And then before I even buy the book, I probably have to hear about it from seven of my friends before I make that purchase, right? Like compare that to an Instagram post or a podcast where there's no filters, very little filters it's just filtering for accuracy, for quality, I think for relevance, which I think yes. is really beautiful. That's mm-hmm. kind of why I could find myself to that medium. So, all right. Books change lives. I'm on board. I've always said this. Ask people about life-changing moments. They're going to point to a person or a book, not a course, not this podcast, not a movie, but a book. Why do you think so many people want to write a book? Because this is like a fairly universal desire, I feel like. Yeah. The New York Times says they have a study that 81% of people want to write a book. We know that less than 1% of people actually do it. I, you know, I think, I think there's this, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think there's a big one for people that come to work with us is like, Hey, I want to help people. Yeah. Like I feel like I have learned these things the hard way and I want to package this up and help other people. So I think there's that. I think for some people it's the status of becoming an author yeah. <laughs> and the kind of the the whole, you know, the root word of authority is author and you can't spell the word authority without the word author. And so, <laughs> I've never heard that. That's funny. <laughs> a lot of people that's, hey, I want to I become an authority on this topic. So I'm going to yeah, write yeah. a book. Yeah. But I know for me, it was, I, I, I feel like I've learned some things that would help other people. So what if I, what if I crystallize it in the form of a book? Yeah. I think there's something like deeply spiritual. I, I agree with everything you just said, but yeah. I also think there's like this deep spiritual dimension to this, right? Like, we can't handle the idea that our work will not outlive us. Yes. It's like so deeply ingrained in our souls. And I think I think some of this is pride, right? I think we got to be careful here. But, you know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And I think that longing for eternity is not just eternal living, but for work that will outlive us. And praise God, you know, Revelation 21, Isaiah 60 says that that longing is is true. And yeah, I, I just think that's part of this. Like books are material, right? And and we want something to physically outlive us. Do you think there's something to this, at least for you? I mean, I remember the first time I got a copy of the book that I'd written and it was, I mean, it was unbelievable. It, it, it was this feeling of, oh, I created this. And yeah. long after I'm off this earth, kind of like I said earlier, this is going to be here. It might be at a goodwill. <laughs> Right. But like it's a, this is a physical thing that I created where I think yeah. sometimes, especially in the online world, it feels like, 
will this thing be here? I don't know. Like, yeah, are the yeah, servers right. going to keep it or all that? Like, right. sure, maybe, maybe they will, you know, that will happen. But a physical book, I think it, it feels like this is a product that I created that will live beyond myself. And so I certainly feel that. And I certainly felt that the first time I got a copy of my first book. I mean, it's a magical moment. It's one of my favorite things about the biblical narrative that this mm-hmm. longing to do work that outlives us mm-hmm. is true. <laughs> like, the new heavens and the new earth contains culture. See Isaiah 60, see Revelation 21. Like I just think as a creator, that's that idea is incredibly appealing to me. Ha, have you ever read Tolkien's short story Leaf by Neagle? I haven't. No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. Do you know this story? I don't I don't know this right. story. I, don't I gotta give the synopsis of this. I can't remember if I've shared it on the podcast, but I'm confident it'll serve the listener well. So World War II hits Great Britain where he lives. And he becomes despondent. He becomes convinced that even though he's you know too old to be drafted in his service, that he's going to die. And that his life's work, the Lord of the Rings, is going to be cut short mm. along with him. And so he's hanging out with C.S. Lewis and the Inklings at the Eagle and Child Pub in Oxford one day. And, and we don't know exactly what was said in the meeting, but we know that they helped renew Tolkien's mind with the truth of scripture, that that the things created with excellence and love and in line with God's character and commands have the potential to physically last into eternity. And so Tolkien sat down and he wrote this short little parable. There's an autobiographical parable called Leaf by Neagle. And Neagle is this painter, right? Who has this massive vision for a huge painting of a tree and beyond the tree, a countryside, a mountains, whatever. It's the Lord of the Rings, right? And Neagle works tirelessly day in, day out. And at the end of his life, all he has completed is a single leaf. It's like a really depressing story, right? So they take the leaf and they frame it in a museum, but the museum burns down and everybody forgets about Neagle and his work. But then Neagle hops on this train to the heavenly afterlife. Something catches his eye, gets off the train. He runs out into this field and there in the middle of the field is his tree, but it's finished and it's perfect. And it's even better than he had envisioned Mm. during his time on earth. And he sits there and he looks at it and says, this is a gift, right? And the point of the story, right, is, hey, working in line with the commands of the Father, Mm. means that our work has the potential to physically last forever. That God would take the work that we have started here in this life and work it into his masterpiece, the new heavens and the Mm. new earth. It's a really beautiful Mm. story. Go go read this story. It's the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. That's amazing. What a great story. That's awesome. Hey, what's I'm curious, what's your we didn't talk about this when we had dinner. What's your faith story? Did you grow up in the church? Yeah, I grew up in the church. My dad was the, uh, he was like one of the deacons at the church and he, he actually ran the church's finances and that sort of thing. So grew up in the church and then, you know, my brother plays in Need to Breathe. And so they they were the church band and like all that stuff. And so then also have kind of seen the behind the scenes of like the Christian music world and then kind of like changed churches in high school, found a total, like just a total, like it, it was, it was, that was a really cool experience. And then kind of, I think post-college transitioning from, okay, I'm a Christian because I grew up in the church to I'm a Christian because I'm finding a personal relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. 
What does that personal relationship with God mean for your work? How do you see the work that you're doing through self-publishing school connecting to the work that God is doing in this world? Yeah, it's been an exploration and a journey because I think probably one of the one of the most difficult things for me um, as a Christian and as a Christian in the workplace is never wanting to never wanting people to feel like that you're projecting your beliefs on them. Yeah. Or that you, uh, gosh, it's, it's so tough. Or never, uh, never feeling like I am judging someone for the way that they believe. Yeah. And I think I've, I think I've almost always erred on the side of just not sharing, which I think is not the way to go. <laughs> but I think is the most common path. I, I can hear listeners nodding their heads with you right now. Yeah. When it's especially tough, I'm sure you've experienced this as a leader, right? And and so as a leader of, I'd say a predominantly Christian organization, probably 60, 70% of my staff is is Christian. And and so it's it's figuring out, and I think this is the part that's been an expert is, is so, I mean, there's a lot of principles that I teach and sure. a lot of principles that I instill in my staff that are, I mean, obviously lean biblical and, yeah. and that I've learned from my parents and from all those things. And, and, and Hey, we are blessed to be a blessing. Like the, we're going to bloom where we're planted. Like all these kind of like fundamental things of, of our ethos as a company, but then it's, how do you do that in a way uh, where you're nudging people in that direction? But it's, it's, it's also not exclusionary of people who don't believe that. And so I think that's been the, as a leader, it's probably one of the toughest things to navigate is how do I integrate my faith into this business that I run? Um, while also not creating outcasts of anyone in the company who doesn't believe that. Um, and so it's been a journey. Yeah. And I think the Lord is honored in your wrestling with these questions. I think he's honored as all of us wrestle with these questions. But I just remind you and all of our listeners, of course, the Lord is honored as we're trying to think about, man, how do I point my team and my coworkers to Christ? We also have to remember that our work matters beyond saving souls, right? Mm, mm. That's not the only thing that God has called to redeem. And oh, by the way, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, that was a complete sentence. That is good. Loving your customers as yourself through the self-publishing school or listener, mm, loving yeah. your employer as yourself as you serve them with excellence is good in and of itself. He didn't say, love your neighbor as yourself so that you can tell them about me. Right. Mm. Loving our neighbors is good. And of course, we pray for opportunities to tell them about Jesus, but just doing the work and doing it well with excellence of love is good too. Hey, yeah. I wanted to ask you about something. I saw you post about this. Maybe it was in your book. I can't remember. But you, know, you have had the opportunity to be a quote unquote lifestyle entrepreneur, right? Kicking back <laughs> with your feet in the sand, whatever. Yeah. But I've heard you say you can't do that. I'm curious if you think your your faith informs your resistance to this idea and just this desire to be useful to the world. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, I've never really thought about that because I think for me, uh, the term lifestyle entrepreneur is <sighs> – Okay, I would say yes because I feel like I've been God gave me talents in the in the area of business, and that was that is the way that He wants me to make a difference, and and kind of a similar like, and it's a one to many way. And so, how can I build up mm -hmm. leaders, and how can yeah. I create leverage? Yeah. How can I create impact and systems, process, team, all that, and develop leaders that develop other leaders and help 
create books, which will then impact thousands or millions of people. And so I feel like those are the unique skills that God gave me and said, hey, I want you to, uh, this is how I want you to impact the world. And so that's where I'm investing. And so my thing is always, I don't want to, I don't want to be on my deathbed or at heaven's gates and, and look back and say, ah, oh, I, fo- I phoned it in. Like I, 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 did, I, didn't, uh, I didn't leave it all out on the field. And so that's yeah, been big, big, big for me. It's the equivalent of bearing the talents, yes. right? Yes. God's given you these talents to steward. Yes. And to create more talents, right? Yes. <laughs> to create yes. a return on that. Yeah. And this four-hour workweek lifestyle, as much as I love that book, a lot of great things in that book, yes. but this idea, the image of it's all f- so that we can sleep on a hammock on the beach and not do anything. Yeah. It's totally antithetical to the gospel. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. Completely yeah. contrary to God's word. Ephesians 2.10. We have been saved, not by works, but we have been saved, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which the mm-hmm. Father prepared in advance for us. It's the very purpose of our salvation. We're not saved to just sit here and consume for eternity. We're saved to create new yes. things that serve other people well. Right. So speaking of serving other people, well, we've been talking about how our work matters for eternity. I'm always interested in how do people respond to that reality? If we Mm -hmm. believe our work matters to God, how do we respond? And one of those responses, obviously, is just getting really, really good at what we do. You're crazy good at what you do. You and I had a very long conversation in Colorado. I'm convinced you're an exceptional founder. So I'm curious, like, what do you think the delta between good and great is as an (laughs) entrepreneur? Mm. I, I mean, simply, I think the Delta is thinking that you're great. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer I've ever heard to that question. Yes. I, mean, I think it's the continuous pursuit of excellence. And th- this is like a very cheesy boilerplate answer, but I'm a firm believer that, and this is something I have to remind myself of, is that life and business are not about the, it's not about the destination or about the mountaintop experiences. About, it's about the journey. And so do you love the journey? And if you don't love and enjoy the journey, then why are you, first off, why are you doing it? Yeah, good question. And, and that's an area to maybe pause and reflect and, and, and go, go do something else if you don't truly love it. But if you truly love the journey, you like that is what it takes to grow, right? It's like, I've got to wake up excited about this. And it's not always going to be easy. It's in fact, it's been very difficult. <laughs> and there's been a lot of highs and lows, Right. And, and a mentor of mine, he, he called it a, one, a part of it is he called it the 25% suck factor. Right? Yeah. He said, Chandler, in any job or business you have, you're, there's going to be a 25% suck factor. And that's just 25% of what you do. You're not going to enjoy doing it. And it's going to be kind of like the crappy part of your job or your business. But he, his theory, which I think is really interesting, is that in, in pursuing never having that, we actually grow weary and <laughs> it, it like it just doesn't exist, right? And so we think like, oh, if I just get that promotion or if I just change businesses or if I just change this, that magically that's going to go away, but it's not. Or if it does, I haven't found it yet, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's so many things that it takes to to be great and and it's it's loving the journey. It's the pursuit of excellence. It's not thinking that you're great because if you think you're great and if you think you've made it, well, well then- if you're not growing, you're dying, right? And then there's so many other just principles along the journey. No, but, but I think that's the core one, right? Yes. I, somebody asked me the other day, what's the hardest part of producing the Call to Mastery podcast? I didn't even have to think about the answer. The guests I want 
don't view themselves as masters. Even though they cl- they objectively are, right? <laughs> yeah. We're talking like United States senators. We're talking about CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, right? They don't believe they're – they refuse to accept that label, right? And that's the hallmark of a true master, ironically, <laughs> right? Is somebody who believes that better is always possible, right? Yeah. So, dude, you're not just an entrepreneur. You're also a writer. We've already talked about this. I loved your book, Published. I thought it was terrific, helping people oh, publish their own books. I'm curious, though, if you found that writing books has helped you grow more masterful at your core craft of entrepreneurship. Because these are somewhat different disciplines. I'm curious if writing has made you better as an entrepreneur. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, writing a book, it forces you to crystallize what you believe. And crystallize what you know. So it's synthesis of thought on both sides, right? Just like we said, hey, it's it's the most compact use of information as readers. That's why we only read books and, and it's kind of like a soul medium. It's also on the flip side, it forces you as the author to synthesize your thought. I think secondly, it's it, it, it's one of the best things I've ever done to grow my business. I mean, yeah. the first version of of published has generated millions of dollars in revenue for self-publishing school. I mean, I believe that as an entrepreneur, a book is the best thing that you can do to grow your business. It'll help you bring in more leads. It'll help you bring in more referrals and it'll help you get, bring in more sales for your business. And so that is kind of, that has been the jumping off point. And that's why I prioritized so heavily. I said, Hey, I want to write the second edition of published and just release that in December is because I knew that, Hey, if, if I do this right, this can generate tens of millions of dollars in in revenue for self-publishing school over the next few years. And so I think there's there's those two pieces. And then and then there's maybe one that's only applicable to me and less so for other people, but may, maybe so is, is, it, is it forces you to get back into the trenches and do the work. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so for me, it was, I am going back to the student experience and seeing, oh, how can we make things better? So yeah, yeah, I had yeah. so many product ideas, so many innovations and tools and things like that. And so it just it helps you get back in the trenches. And then I was able to crystallize my focus and say, hey, what are the one or two things that we really need to be equipping our customers with at the starting point of their journey to help them make more progress and to help them kind of connect the dots between finding us and doing business with us and becoming a customer and all that stuff. So uh, in a lot of ways, yes. Yeah. I get asked all the time from people like, hey, I got this book concept I'm thinking about writing, but I don't like really want to be like a full-time author. Like, should I do it? Like, I I just have this like marketing job or I'm a CEO of this company. And I almost always say, yes, hundred percent do it because I think it helps you pursue mastery of your core craft, whatever that craft is in a couple of ways. You know, first it just makes you a better writer, which is a skill that's valuable for pretty much any career on the planet. If you send emails, being a better writer can, can help you there. But also, if you're writing a book about what you do, as you said, it helps you strengthen your thinking on this topic in a way that other mediums can't, right? A blog post, you can edit it after you publish it. A book, you can't. And so the pressure is so much greater to really make sure you've got your thinking down before you turn in that manuscript. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. It's a very different experience. And so you're creating frameworks, 
right? Which, yeah, totally. which if we're talking about mastery, if we're talking about yeah. leverage, if we're talking about all those things like frameworks and systems and process are what helps bring leverage in what you do on the daily, right? And so, and one of the best ways to do that is through a book. And so now you are getting more effective at, at, at explaining what you do clearly, right? At explaining core concepts, but then you're also creating frameworks that you can roll into your business or your job or, or whatever it is that, that consumes most of your time, which just helps that be more effective. And it's just kind of a, of a virtuous cycle. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned focusing your team, right? As you were going through this experience by, hey team, we really need to focus on these one or two features. I just believe as an entrepreneur, as a leader, frankly, anyone working, <laughs> I think yeah. focus is the silver bullet. And yes. I, I'm curious what you do practically day yeah. in day out week in week out quarter over quarter to keep to number one identify what's most essential for the business and number two keep yourself and your team focused on those few essential things yeah there, there's one or two thoughts i have i have here i mean focus stands for follow one course until successful right and oh, i love that yeah, that's good. And and I think the two most dangerous questions as an entrepreneur are what's new and what's next, right? And so, yeah. so many times when we come to conferences or, or or whatever, people say, "Hey, what's new? What's next?" <laughs> All right? And and for me, the answer has often been boring: is uh, what's new, not a whole lot. What's next, a lot more of what we were already doing, but better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not the sexy answer to come in and say. So I think. My two favorite questions are how can I make this simple and how can I do more of what's working? Yeah. And so I yeah. ask my team that all the time. How can we make this simple? How can we do more of what's working? And so I just keep coming back to that. I have this analogy. I call it the light bulb versus the whack-a-mole. Yeah. And so, so many times in business, we play a game of whack-a-mole, right? Problem pops up, we fix the problem, and then it pops up again. But there's this story that I love. It's from Howard Schultz, founder of Starbucks. He was driving and he saw a light out, you know, on this, on a random Starbucks sign. He's, you know, like when the lights are out and it spells something funny or it just, yeah. you can't really tell what it is. So he, he saw a light out and what would be the natural thing that most people would jump to? It's, oh, who's the manager of this store? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call them, give them a piece of my mind, tell them they need to be managing their store better. Right. But what he did instead, which I thought was really interesting when I read, the, when I read this book, <laughs> right, is... He said, what's the system that we have on a national level that can keep this from happening ever again? Yeah. And that is the light bulb, right? So yeah. what's the light bulb solution versus the whack-a-mole quick fix? So those are kind of a yeah. lot of the ways that I try to keep the team focused. It's really good. That's really good. A big part of mastery of any vocation is having a great routine. I'm curious for you personally, what's your daily routine look like from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed? Yeah, I'm very <laughs> structured and routine. It's one of those things where, you know, you grow yeah, up and there's things about your parents that you're like, I will never do that or I will do that. And I've told myself I'd never be as routine as my dad. And sure enough, I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, for me, it's the morning routine. That's the most important thing. Consistent wake up time, 6 a.m. I have a pretty solid morning routine and reading, meditation, all that stuff. And my buddy of mine wrote a book called The Miracle Morning. I highly recommend on on that. That is that's the one thing such that doing it makes everything else easier and necessary. So the morning routine is the most important part of my day. And, and yeah. if I just do that, my day will be 
awesome. If I don't, it, it won't be. And so that's why I never, I just never miss that. Wait, so dive, dive a level deeper into this. Give us the detailed morning routine for you. Yeah, it's, it's changed and evolved. Yeah, um, sure. And because I think when I first started implementing this, it's like, how do I have the most elaborate morning routine ever? Because that's what successful people do, right? <laughs> but <laughs> like this, this two hour thing, but it's pretty simple now. It's, it's wake up, make coffee, start reading. Um, and I, I'm, I'm listening to an audiobook while I'm, you know, just like do a little mini workout. So yeah, 65 pushups, 65 sit-ups, listening to an audiobook, yeah. make coffee, read. And then from there, it's oftentimes, uh, meditate. And then I'm doing intermittent fasting now, but it, then it used to yeah. be like make a smoothie or eggs or something. And then put on work clothes, which working from home, that's big for me is I put on work clothes and I go to my office and then at the end of the day, I take off my work clothes. So just to kind of help that the, separate the the work from work from your home. Yeah. Um, and so that's the kind of deep dive on the morning routine. And then it's, I mean, focused effort in the morning. I try to keep meetings out of mornings and then specifically on Monday, Wednesday, Friday as much as possible. And then it's focus time in the morning. That's prime time for me. And so that's number one task. Number one, you know, I, I kind of do like quarterly, yearly, monthly, weekly goal setting and that sort of yeah. thing. And then one thing is that is a nap every every day, every afternoon. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I woke up from my nap a few minutes before this podcast interview. Yeah. And that's a that's a non negotiable for me. And then and then there's kind of like the wind down and the plan the next day, and I'll you know wrap up a day five thirty six, maybe even a little bit later. But that's kind of the the, the typical day. It's good. I love it. All right, three questions we wrap up every conversation with. This first one, I I usually ask guests which books they gift most frequently. But since your mantra is books change lives, I'm just going to put a different twist on it. Which books have most changed your life, Chandler? Ooh, so many. Um, I've got, a, I've, I've got a, a, a YouTube video. It's like the top 10 most impactful. Great. What books are they? In your life. I'm trying to remember all of them. But <laughs> one of the biggest ones <laughs> is uh, Extreme Ownership. That's one of the best yeah, leadership book. books of all time. And Terrific that book. one, and then as far as impact, I mean, I already mentioned it, but the Miracle Morning, like it's yeah. not a, it's not a revolutionary book, but doing it is, <laughs> it's it's a it's just really well packaged. Yeah, it's good. Who would you most like to hear on this podcast talking about how their faith intersects with their pursuit of great work? Mm, easy, Dabo Sweeney, that's a good head answer. coach of the Clemson Tigers football team. That's a good answer. All right. What's one thing from our conversation today that you want to reiterate to our listeners before we sign off? And just keep in mind, this is a group of listeners who all love Jesus, very diverse in terms of what they do. What they share is a love of Christ and a desire to do great work in service of him and others. What do you want to leave them with? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the the big thing that I would leave folks with, and this is a little bit you know, just specific to the stuff that we teach, but would yeah. be that, like, if you think that you want to write a book, there's never going to be a perfect time to do it. Yes. And, and if you, if some of the things that you heard today resonated and you're thinking, okay, I want to crystallize this information into something that's going to live beyond me, the timing's never going to be right. You're going to have to get started before you're ready. And what I encourage you to do is as soon as this, this podcast interview is over, just grab a blank sheet of paper, and write your book topic, the thing that you might think you'd write about in the center of the page, and then spend 15 minutes mind mapping everything that you can think of on this topic. So stories that you have, lessons that you've learned, 
books that you've read, experiences, all those things, and just start mind mapping. And you, you might just realize that this could really be a book. And you've got a whole lot of knowledge on this topic that you could share. That's terrific advice. Chandler, I want to commend you for the exceptional work you and your team do every day. Thank you for coming alongside authors and just helping them tell the stories that God has put in their hearts. And thank you for inspiring our listeners to tell their own stories. This is super helpful, super practical. Guys, Chandler's terrific book is published, and you can learn more about the book, about his work at selfpublishingschool.com. That's self-publishingschool.com. Chandler, thanks for hanging out with us. Jordan, you're the man. Thank you so much for having me. So as soon as we got the air, Chandler told me that he's going to send you guys 50 free physical copies of his terrific book published. First 50 people to claim it, get it. Sign up right now at publishedbook.com slash Jordan. That's me, J-O-R-D-A-N. First 50 people will get a free copy of his terrific book. Hey guys, if you're enjoying The Call to Mastery, do me a favor, go leave a quick review of the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'll see you next week.